tell me, I mean, what to you is sound? Well, here we are talking about sound. Uh, you're an anthropologist of sound. What is sound? But for me, sound is indeed more something that emerges in a situation and that plays a role in the experience of people and in the exchange between people. So, so you're saying part of what it is to be a, a person, part of what it is to live, is to live with sound, to produce sound, to receive sound, and to, and to be affected by sound. Indeed. For me, to be a person, or a sonic persona as I call it, has a lot to do with how we react to vibrations, sonic vibrations, all sorts of vibrations, also vibrations between different actors, between buildings, cars, the kids playing, animals, nature, all of that has sorts of vibrations. And we hear them in a certain range as sound. And they mean something in our lives as sound and not as vibration or waveforms or formants or something. But we live with them and how we react to sounds, be it sounds we, we love, we crave, uh, sounds we, we feel... Um, uh, repelled by or we hate they define a lot how we are and you used there a phrase sonic persona could you elaborate could you tell me what you mean by that yeah in my research um i wish to focus not so much on the on the one hand technological apparatus the whole um, inventions, the technology, the products with which we design, produce, generate, store, reproduce sound. And it's also not only the corporeal, the bodily experience. So how we sense sound in more detail. So how we, for instance, get shivers with one sound or get bored or headaches or get excited to dance. That's another side. But for me, the persona is in between them. And we somehow, as I like to phrase it, we negotiate between the, if you will, demands or requirements of technology and our needs and desires of the body. And in between, somehow we become a persona and we maybe develop a persona over time in our biography, how we can, um, yeah, how we can somehow live or dwell in this area in between. I mean, it's interesting you say that. I spent uh, a couple of years living out in Colombia, in Medellin, a sort of big city. And uh, I still think it, it was the noisiest place I've ever lived in my life. And it was 24-hour noise. I was affected. It really got to me. But they were so used to it. But I remember when I came back home and I lay on the bed and I couldn't hear anything. And I live in a city and I couldn't hear anything. And I thought... Oh, this is a bit odd. Where, where, I feel, I didn't feel safe. <laughs> Precisely. I can totally understand that. And personally, I live between at least two cities. So I work and do research in Copenhagen and Denmark. My wife, my kids, my family lives in Berlin. So I'm somehow moving between Berlin and Copenhagen a lot, which are close cities. Berlin is in, compared, in comparison to Copenhagen, a pretty loud city and massive and demanding and also challenging for people who start living there on a daily basis. Whereas Copenhagen, in comparison to Berlin, 
can seem almost um, quiet and if not silent. However, obviously, for people coming from the countryside of Denmark and coming to Copenhagen, the national capital, that is the loudest, the most active, the most metropolitan city in the country. And obviously, if you come from from London, which is a much more faster and louder city, I feel personally, than Berlin, you again perceive Berlin as a different city, and maybe not not much much more silent, but in a different dynamic, maybe. I got a colleague from Brazil who lives and works in Salvador de Bahia. And when he comes to Berlin, he studied in Berlin. And when he comes to Berlin, he tells ah, Berlin, it's so quiet and civilized and so ordered. So these four cities, Salvador de Bahia, London, Berlin, Copenhagen, that's a, these are vivid examples how our bodies and our personalities not only adapt, but somehow embody the city or the environment in which we live. And that becomes normal and that becomes the gold standard for us, what sound is. So to what extent does the city create the sonic personas? And to what extent do the sonic personas create the city? And uh, there's also a danger here that we all live in the same city, we must all be the same person. The Londoner is the person who hears the sounds of London, but it's a vast spectrum of, of ways of knowing the world. Definitely. And the city, the environment of the city, the apparatuses, the technology of the city is just one ferment in what creates a persona. If you're a lot outside and do a lot in the city, if you're, if you're moving around a city a lot, it's a different experience than if you just, let's say, live in one area. One city doesn't create only one type of person. That would be unthinkable and also horrible. In what, in what cities or what environments one grew up or lived before, how are the people around you addressing that also? And how do you, with your bodily experience, attach to it, love it, hate it? Um, and of course, what kind of preferable sounds you lived through in your life? Do you enjoy machine sounds? Do you indulge in other nature sounds? And it's a complex mixture. It's definitely not just one factor. But obviously, in urban environments, it plays a, a big role. It could just be one of my idiosyncrasies, but I, I particularly like uh, visually, uh, audially, and it, it just the whole ambience of, of a, a metro station, of the flow of people in and the flow of people out, and, and how each one does create it, its own environment. And those noises are, are not conscious they're just walking they're just movement but it's actually uh, a noise of a species and there are there are many reasons why we develop idiosyncrasies biographical personal re relational from adolescence from experiences bad and good and so on and of course they have their own sonic dynamics as well they provide your sonic experience but there's an in-between zone where it can easily be that some people experience sounds as painful, harassing, annoying, and others can indulge in the rhythmic quality and the agogic and dynamic quality. And it gives them a kind of, as you call it in acoustics, a kind of masking shield to the outside. So you can 
create even when not wearing headphones or earbuds you can create your own bubble out of the metro rattling the car sounds from above and people walking by this can be something that you love at least momentarily it, it reminds me of something i'm probably not going to broadcast it but uh, when my mother was dying she had that uh, that sort of death rattle to this bubbling in her lungs and uh, there was a guy down the, the the ward in the hospital who who was i think he was asleep but he had this whoop and they were in synchro synchronization i mean she 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 was going to die that night so she was going bubble 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 and he was going whoop bubble bubble and i started to record it but in a way those sounds put me in a, in a, a very comforting bubble other but this is how we experience these environments and often they're totally arbitrary, and, but they mean then something to us. Uh, though no one ever thought about that and no one ever purposefully, of course, put them into place, but they do something with us. And this is what I find interesting, to approach personality, people, their actions, their relations to the environment through this, if you will, this material substance of sound that is around us. Because I think many people, if not all people, many people react to these things, even if they don't reflect upon them. Yes, I, I think I think that's it. I mean, the other thing that that reminds me of is, is is going to the bathroom, going to the loo, because it is a very sonic experience. Because normally it's tiled walls, it's a small room, and it has a a different ambience, it has a different echo, a different acoustic to the rest of the house altogether, and you're stuck there on your own, sitting there. You're there for several days of your life over the years. As you say, you're closed. It's a very closed, small room. Uh, it's not much happening there, not much distraction. It's um, more or less warm, uh, shiny, often a good light. And you're totally, yeah, for yourself. And maybe even the smells and sounds of your comfortable mm -hmm. bodily activity, let's say, yeah. can also contribute in a weird way to this feeling comfortable you have a you have children and so you're aware of their sound worlds too could you take us through the sounds of your family even our oldest one our 11 year old and this brings me totally into the present she has now a smartphone since uh, october uh, she's on tiktok she has three instagram accounts um so she's totally into it and of course the songs she listens to and watches there they get into her body and she kinesthetically performs them and does them sometimes willfully, sometimes not so willfully. And that's a good example for me how she as a young girl at the beginning of her adolescence also lets her body being shaped by images, by performances, by songs. I see in a certain sense her sonic persona, her also dancing persona, her persona as a young woman being of course shaped and formed by watching repeating dances repeating dance moves facial gestures and other stuff why is music so dominating and why have we attached to it so much and how does that prevent us understanding or looking at maybe other other forms of uh, of music the music you described earlier on the tube the music around us because it frames our lives this is music 
that is all around us and we live with it and we let our lives being interpreted, guided, shifted, accentuated by it. Of course, not on, not always totally strategic and totally willfully, sometimes also just as a masking strategy again. If you're working in a open plan office or living in a loud family environment, it's helpful to have headphones and maybe not only noise cancelling, but also listening to something that it brings you in a good mood or that you want to listen to. So this masks you and you have this then this famous bubble, this creation of an individual environment um, and your individual way of uh, approaching the world in societies that I would claim more and more understand what it means to, to live in a mass society, which means also with incessant contact with a larger amount of people this becomes an absolute necessity to be able to experience maybe even solitude among a mass of other people. When the Sony Walkman came out, the point in history where people go into a bubble, but what you're saying is, well, they were kind of in bubbles anyway. Uh, they were always getting that effect. It's accentuated it. And as, as we go into further sort of mass noise around us, there will be other ways to accentuate it. And I suppose uh, the technologies linked up there where we can we can sort of choose more or less the sounds we want or we think we can we might look back at that and think that was no choice there's this kind of you call productivity apps which is a kind of weird marketing name of them and the claim behind it and there's really a mass of them out out there they claim that if you listen to them and to the specific sound mixture they provide to you and there are all sorts of stuff like coffee house sounds or or showering sounds or log burning down they will enhance your productivity and your life experience through this yeah masking in this sound that's that's so true as, as someone who uh, when i need to concentrate puts on something called late night coffee house and it and i can browse by mood it says what mood do you want and then i browse the mood so it, it, it's already telling me that sound affects me. So now it sort of turns to the political because the sounds we have, all the sounds we have, come from a history of sound. They, they haven't just appeared on the doorstep. And that history of sound is not in itself independent from a history of, of humans living and a history of other things living. So are the sounds we have representative of history and if so which histories do they represent i give you an example so in england a peaceful country apparently or possibly less so now but a peaceful country but that peace is built on having wars elsewhere for 400 years we've taken the wars outside of britain uh, so we will fight somewhere else someone else is having the sound of conflict the sounds i hear you know sitting here in my room are the sounds of other people working somewhere else uh, the sounds I have of relative wealth compared to most other countries is the sounds of poverty somewhere else. What is the politics of the sound I'm living in? What you're speaking here is actually the question of, um, if you will, the meaning of silence. And um, I would like to follow here Karen Beisterwelt, uh, who in her great book, um, uh, sound and safe, word play of course, um, makes us aware that 
In the beginning of the car industry, of course, cars were open, but as soon as they were closed, you could again hear the whole working of the machinery, the squeaking and scratching and rolling. And so at that time, suddenly creating a silent environment became a sign of luxury. And well, speaking of England, Rolls-Royce, uh, the icon of a silent inside car. And of course, silence means luxury. It means wealth. It means I can leave the horrible, squeaking, painfully screeching world outside and can at least for a temporary time, for a temporary moment, have the experience of, yeah, it's all fine, it's all silence, I'm with me. That is definitely a political aspect, uh, which we need to be aware when we discuss, for instance, about noise abatement and unwanted sound in the city, like London, Berlin, Copenhagen. They can be as orderly or silent, because, if you will, the sonic war has been carried elsewhere. The habitat we created here can only be as recluse and personal and customized because we still profit from the luxury situations our nations created through the international slave trade and the basis in planetary exploitation. And this is important, I think, to be aware of that. And for me, this is a step also into at least a glimpse of what a planetary history could be that is not an imbalance, but tries also sensorially and sonically to be precise in how well-being and how pain and exploitation is distributed. So the sounds I'm living in are the sounds of my political position. The sounds I'm living in, my own identity and my sonic identity, my sonic perso persona is, is effectively related to, to my class persona, to my gender persona. It's, it, it's got its own history. So the sounds I live within and the sounds I can access, and as you say, the silences I can access, all have political consequences. And that they suggest that where I'm standing in the world of sound, my understanding of life and my audio being, my sonic being, doesn't escape those forces. This is why I like to go to the specific situations. Because if you go close to them and listen close to them to the materiality that is exactly there, then you can hear that. And you are, you're not mistaken in a kind of, yeah, self-indulging enjoyment of the specific sonic quality. So in this audiophile aesthetic assessment, maybe, but in the material political impact it, ha it has on a situation. For me, that, that's important. What do you think would happen if we started talking about our, our sound worlds more? And actually reflecting on it more consciously and more in conversation rather than I heard a bit of music. This is often when I ask, okay, what did you hear? And of course, if they're not educated in speaking about their sound experiences, they very often start to say, well, yeah, nothing to hear, nothing special, all the usual. And apparently, Many people think, well, I cannot speak about squeaking wooden floors and maybe the valve of my espresso machinetta. Um, it's not that they never think about that or don't listen to that. That would be wrong, I'd say. But they have very often not been encouraged to articulate that in a serious way. 
and they feel no that's not what someone wants to hear but if you give them the freedom to speak about the all these ridiculous details of a situation then they will be coming a lot and they speak about that and then suddenly it gets playful people play with you and they hear and they can speak about their if you will their sonic imagination sonic dreams sonic sensibilities yeah and and that, that sort of takes us to the world we live in because if we've got these sonic personas this no, we're not just a cappella we're not just instrumentless in fact all these sounds that squeaky floorboard that valve it shows that somehow we're not really separate from a technological world or even another living world or the world of rocks we're not separate from those if you're having those conversations the sound must constantly be reminding you that you're you're so fused to these other worlds that it's hard to tell the difference an observer wouldn't know whether you made the sound or whether the floorboard made the sound you're in partnership it's a duet exactly exactly i love them when the valve of my spasomachinetic goes up because there's so much involved you have technology in there you have um, my desire for the caffeine you have my living practice you have an environment you have getting out of tiredness and going to the computer and write and all these things are somehow mixed into this valve being pushed up and i can sense that and many others can relate to that of course this materiality heat water we can go to the coffee production the inequalities the technology all of that is built in there sound is never only sound it's always an intersection point for all materialities and all memories and historicities that i experience with the sound in these worlds where there is voice assistance there's alexa there's siri i've got a thing on my phone where i can turn on voice assistance i'm starting to live with people who start to say things into the air i can't do it myself and i fear it which is curious as well. So what do you make of the voices in the emptiness which isn't so empty? A lot of research around voice assistants focuses so much on the question of surveillance capitalism, of artificial intelligence and all these aspects, but I still not find a lot of research being done on this situation of interaction and the situation where we have voice assistants as part of our conversation. How do people live with let's say um insufficient and incomplete machines that do certain things but not others? And for me there's one intriguing thing happening happening here that is the aspect of a servant society coming back into our society. Of course there are still servant societies on our planet but not as dependent as a voice assistant is to us with his technological servants. Suddenly a very massive element of servant society intrudes our, our everyday life again. For me the question is here how this changes our listening situation in everyday life. If we have a voice which is bodiless, somehow let's say without history, without biography, without memory in a deeper sense, um and uh, that creates a different situation and of course through the back door all the surveillance the servant society always brought in servants who stood silent who only spoke when spoken to but obviously listened to everything heard everything and chatted about everything so it's an it's a different way of uh, addressing these new 
players in our everyday lives, lives through listening. And we cannot really meaningfully describe lives without addressing what these agents and these voice assistants say to us, how they perform with us. And you're saying if you listen to sound, if you follow those sounds, if you unpack them, if you try and explore them through different angles and notice them and wonder what those means, then you start to understand who you are in the world differently. And it's not just a reflective exercise, because as you say, when I say, Alexa, can you switch on the light, my smart bulb? Then all of a sudden, I'm starting to become someone different and I'm starting to live a, a different life. I'm not who I was a year ago without that smart bulb and without Alexa. Life's changed a little bit. And you're saying by listening to our sound worlds, we can understand far more of who we are, but it's got to be conscious. Yeah, definitely.